Hey there, this is Jolene from Ghost Towns and History of Montana. Welcome to our very first podcast. Now, if you're not familiar with my work and what I do, I'm just uh, traveling around the state. I interview people. I spend hours in the archives, uh, tons and tons of books, looking up the stories and the people and the places of Montana, telling their history and keeping some of those memories alive. So I thought it might be fun to start a podcast and share some stories with you all. Uh, You can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram. I think we might even have a Twitter account as well. Okay, so today we have Paul McCormick's Wild Night Ride for Life. Now this appeared in the Bozeman Courier newspaper July 15th, 1927. So sort of put you in context here of how and when this was written. It was by C.C. Newman of Dillon, and I'm going to share it with you today, Paul McCormick's Wild Night Ride for Life. Paul Revere's ride is famous in history, but when it comes to thrills and danger, it does not compare to Paul McCormick's ride. One dark night in 1872 from Benson's Landing on the banks of the Yellowstone River, a short distance from where the town of Livingston now stands to Fort Ellis, about three miles out of Bozeman, a distance of some 25 or 30 miles. I knew Paul well for more than 30 years prior to his death and often gazed upon his snow-white hair as I pondered over the story that I had often heard, how it turned white in one night when a horde of Indians chased him for his scalp but never a word from Paul as to the incident or the facts. He lived a long, eventful, and useful life and stood high as a citizen in the community in which he resides, which was at Billings, Montana. He was a partner at that place of former United States Senator T.C. Power and for many years was in the cattle business and other enterprises. I recall one occasion when President Roosevelt visited Helena for a short time. Concours, the veteran cattle king of Montana, who had known Teddy in the early days around Medora and Miles City, was to entertain him at a dinner at his palatial home on the west side of the capital city that evening. Mr. Kors had invited a few of his old-time friends to the dinner to meet the president, and among the number was Mr. McCormick, who was stopping at the Grandin Hotel, at the time, the leading hotel of Helena. He was in the happiest mood that afternoon while talking to some of his friends and remarked, I suppose this will be about the last roundup for some of us old bucks. The story of McCormick's famous ride and the premature white hair, I learned in conversation with Charles Higginbotham, the veteran stage driver of this place who died recently at over 80 years of age and said to be the oldest living stage driver in the United States. Story of that night ride. I suggested to him that he would appreciate and enjoy reading an editorial in the Butte Minor on Nelson Story Sr. at the time of Mr. Story's death as there was some history there, which was familiar, I mentioned the fact 
that the editorial went back to the time when it was claimed that Senator Powell and Paul McCormick had something to do with breaking the stranglehold, which Mr. Story at one time was said to have had upon the grazing lands of the Crow Indian Reservation. At once, Charlie's fist came down on the table with a bang, and he said, I knew Paul McCormick as a young man when his hair was as black as the ace of spades. I became interested and asked him if he knew the story of that wild night ride and the white hair. He replied, yes, I know all about it. I was in that part of the country at the time it occurred. I will give you the story just as Charlie told it to me. There was an outfit or party of some 35 or 40 traders, trappers, and traffickers who had camped at what was known as Benson's Landing on the Yellowstone River, just below where Livingston now stands. The country around there was lousy with Indians at that time, who were none too friendly. They kept getting a little thicker and a little closer and were not acting just right, according to the white man's standpoint. McCormick and his party immediately got busy and threw up a temporary stockade and prepared to defend themselves against attack. The Indians kept gathering in increased numbers and moving in closer, preparing to exterminate the entire party. The Indians were too many for the traders and the latter realized it. They soon found themselves besieged by the Indians with but little hope of escape. If they could get word, to the troops stationed at Fort Ellis, they would come and drive away the Indians. There was no way in those days of sending out an SOS call except by messenger. There was no radio, telephone, or telegraph, or airplane there. But who would volunteer to carry the message through those hundreds of hostile redskins? It was Paul McCormick who offered to risk the ride he selected his time for departure one night and managed to get a mile or two of a start before the Indians were aware of what was going on. His associates had picked the swiftest and most enduring horse in their outfit for his mount. The angry Indians at once gave chase, but Paul was riding for his life and the lives of his friends. There were no roads but trails and no bridges, and there was a range of mountains to be crossed. Up hill and down, through the streams and across the flats they flew, and over the mountains they sped. There were no witnesses except the participants. When Paul dashed into the military grounds of Fort Ellis, he came near riding down the guard who thought McCormick was a crazy man. He was whipping his horse with an arrow which he had pulled from his clothes and five other arrows were dangling from his coat, none of which had penetrated deep enough to hurt him seriously. He went direct to General Buford's headquarters and reported the next morning his hair was as white as snow and remained such until the day of his death. I hope you enjoyed today's story. I will be back again real soon with another one, so be sure to check in with us again. Take care.